All right, if you weren't in here when we got started, I just want to start off and say good morning. All right, welcome. We are so glad all of you have joined us today at Carolina Family Church. We are continuing our series in James. Um, but before we get started with the, uh, with the, the, the message, I have, uh, I have to confess to you a, mis- a little mistake that I made, okay? A little mistake, okay? A little mistake. Not a, bi- a little one, okay? I would confess the big ones to you too, but just in this case, it's a little one, okay? I made a mistake because I was uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, I guess a few weeks ago now, um, I was uh, watching uh, some videos on TikTok, and um, it's not all bad, by the way. Uh, most of my TikTok is just comedians, um, but I, and they're funny. But um, I was, I, I got these guys I watch who test out, like, TikTok trends or things that they see to see if they're actually real or not, whether they're legit or not, because there's a lot of fake stuff out there. And so they test stuff out, and they had seen this video where these people bought a pair of uh, Apple iPod, or uh, uh, what are they called? The AirPods, the AirPods, right? A pair of AirPod Pros off of a website for $24, all right? And at first I was skeptical, but I trust these guys. And so they opened them up and they were like, they were like, hey, like this is legit. Like these are definitely actual serial number and everything. They're actual Apple AirPods for $24. And I was like, wow. I, I am the kind of guy, I like a deal, okay? I don't mind getting a deal ever. I will work for a deal. I will go way out of my way. I got a story about gift cards I'll tell you one day. But I go way out of my way to get a deal on something, okay? And uh, so I was like, yeah, this is fantastic. This is awesome. So I went ahead and I ordered them, okay, off of a very, shall we say, shady website, okay, um, that was definitely translated into English but was not originally in English, and, uh, but it looked legit, it looked legit, and I thought, for $24, I'll, I'll give it a try, okay? Like, it's worth it to me, I'll pay $24 to find out if these are legit or not. And so, I ordered them, and they came fairly quickly, which I was surprised by. Uh, usually, they, you know, strap them to the back of a dolphin and send them across the Pacific Ocean to get to you, but, but in this case, it came pretty quick. And, uh, and I got them, and I got to tell you, I opened the package, and I looked at them, and, like, they were legit. They were real Apple AirPods. The packaging was right. The serial number was right. Like, everything about them was right. I, In fact, I was so convinced they were so amazing that I went ahead and bought another pair to give to Jess as a gift. Got you some AirPods. That would sound really good. I went ahead and bought another pair to give to Jess. And then I pulled them out of the, you know, I'm looking at them, and I'm finally like, oh, yeah, I'm going to use these. So I was going to do some work in the backyard, so I put the AirPods in, and, and uh, I went out there and uh, to see if they worked. And, uh, yeah, nope, nope. I got some sound out of them, okay? I got some, about half the time they played sound, <laughs> but they would just cut in and out constantly. And uh, they're supposed to have tap function on them where you can advance the tracks or you can uh, play or pause or whatever. Nothing. All right. Zero. <laughs> they did not work. They were more frustrating to use than, and than something that worked. Uh, didn't work at all. You know, they couldn't work. They, they just they didn't work. And so I was super disappointed. So I ran back inside after try because I gave them the benefit of the doubt. But I ran back inside and quickly canceled my order for the other pair, which I managed to get out ahead of. Now I'm in customer service nightmare with this company trying to get a refund for these other ones that I have. But I was so frustrated with those things. Uh, 
Um, and uh, yeah, so learn your lesson, right? Okay, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> let's, oh, let's remember that. So I'm envisioning what happened to these things because they are AirPods. They're not a copy. They're not a fake. They are legit. They are AirPods. So I'm imagining that Apple was sending a shipment over. You know, they're made in China. So made in China. They're coming across the Pacific Ocean on this big container ship. And there's this one clumsy guy on the ship right? They're heading to Cupertino, California. There's one clumsy guy on the ship, and he goes meandering around, and he bumps into this big stack of crates, and it starts to teeter, and it starts to totter, and one of those big metal container, shipping containers, falls off and into the ocean. begins gets soaked with water. Meanwhile, a whale comes by and sees it and thinks it's some sort of floating toy to play with in the ocean. It starts pushing it around and banging into it, eventually brings it back to the surface, and the guys on the ship see it, and they send down a crane, and they pull it back up, and they let it dry off, and they get back over to the mainland. And they're like, well, we can't give this to Apple. Let's give it to this website that they're going to sell them on. And those are probably the AirPods that I got. So they were legit, but they didn't work the way they were supposed to. And as I was thinking about the AirPods, I couldn't help but think, man, there's an awful lot of Christians that are like that too. They're legit Christians. They put their faith in Jesus. They just don't work like they're supposed to. They just don't function the way that a Christian is supposed to function. And unfortunately, we are surrounded in our society by a lot of Christians. And I'm not disparaging, just calling out what's actually true. We're surrounded by a whole lot of Christians who are Christians. They have put their faith in Jesus, but they don't look anything like Jesus. <laughs> They just don't work right. And the reality is there might be some of you who are here with us today who are still skeptical about Christ or still skeptical about church. And it has nothing to do with Jesus himself, but it has to do with Christians that you've seen. And so you, you've seen Christians not functioning properly. Imagine if that was the first pair of AirPods that I ever had or the first Apple product that I ever had. I'll be well, like, well, Apple's garbage, man. Apple's not reliable. It doesn't work. They say it has features that it doesn't have. Like, everyone talks about how great Apple is, but obviously it's not that great, right? Because my experience was with the dysfunctional AirPods instead of the ones that work correctly. Well, the same thing is true. I think of Christians. There are people who have come into contact constantly in their life with dysfunctional Christians, Christians who react poorly and behave poorly, don't act in the way Jesus does, and so they've developed their understanding of Jesus based on that, and that's sad. So if you're skeptical of church or if you're skeptical of Jesus himself, because of your interactions with Christians, with people who are Christians or who say they're Christians, then I want to encourage you to take a second, take a step back, and investigate who Jesus really is. And develop your understanding of Jesus and what his followers are, not based on the, the bad apples in the bunch, but the good apples, because there are Christians all around you, and there are Christians in this church who are great representations of Jesus, that, that, that show what it's like to be patient and to be gracious and to be loving and to be kind and all of the things that Jesus was. And so I want to encourage you to base it on that. You know, what we're reading in James really is, I think, the overall message of what James is trying to get across to the people he's writing to. He's saying, you know, you're under pressure, you're under trial, and you have to make sure that what comes out of you and how you behave and how you act and what you do is in keeping with Christ and his message and God's wisdom, not with your own reactions, not with your emotional reactions, not with your own wisdom or human wisdom or your, any of those things coming out of you. You need to get this right. This is part of maturing and growing and becoming more like Christ, being transformed from the inside out. And James is really digging at the heart of that in this letter that we're studying together. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to um, the book of James. And um, let me 
bring us up to speed because Jeremy, Jeremy kicked off the actual uh, teaching um, last week. I did week one. It was just an overview of James, understanding the book, who, he, who James was, why he wrote it, all that. Um, I covered one verse. And then, uh, and then Jeremy preached last week, and he went from verse 2 to verse 18. All right, gave me a little bit of a hard time about how many verses he had to cover versus how many verses I covered, but I'm going to make up for it this week because we're going to do the rest of chapter 1 this week. All right, so let's bring you up to speed. James uh, has told his listeners, and by the way, his listeners are Christians. That's very important for you to understand. He's assuming his listeners are believers in Jesus. He's not an open letter to the community at large. It's not trying to lead people to salvation. He's talking to people he believes already are saved. And so uh, they are Jew, uh, historically Jewish people who are saved, have believed in Jesus, and they are scattered around, and they're facing persecution. And he wants to encourage them and help them understand that they're not just scattered, that they're planted, that God has them there on purpose, but he needs them to mature and grow and to handle the situation they're in well in order for the gospel to go forward, in order for them to grow and mature. So he starts off and he says, you know, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds which is, he, James does not beat around the bush. He gets right down, right down to it, right out of the gate. He gets to his, his purpose, his point. But they need to consider it joy, which is to lead your mind to joy and say, I am going to find joy in this situation when I'm facing all of this difficulty. And the joy we're talking about is not happiness. It's not, oh, everything's good. I'm, I'm so glad everything's going this way. It's not that kind of joy. It's a joy that's rooted in the fact, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance produces patience. So it's producing in us endurance, that God is using this situation and is going to use this situation to galvanize you. So tell your, tell your mind, this is a good thing that God is doing in my life right now because he's using it to mature me and grow me and strengthen me. So, so it's good from that perspective. He goes on and he tells him, what you need is wisdom. And you need to ask God for wisdom. And if you ask God for wisdom, how should I think about this? How should I feel about this? What should I say? How should I react? If you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. All right, so ask God for wisdom. He will give it to you. Make sure that when you are being tempted, that you're not, that you're not being drawn into earthly riches, that you're not being drawn. Here's, here's a problem. Their temptation in their situation would be, get me out of this situation. That's what's good. Getting out of the situation is what's good. And so their persecution and the things they were facing, that pressure would push them to compromise. It would push them to go back to the things everyone else valued, like worldly wealth. And he says, no, 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 don't value that. Value heavenly wealth. Value the crowns that God can give to you. All right, so make sure you're focusing on the right things. And he says every good and perfect gift comes from above. Well, what are the gifts? Jeremy talked about this last week. It's not your car or your, your you know, it's not your, your new toy that you have. It's not your AirPods. It's the good gifts that come from God are endurance, patience, wisdom, all the things that he's already been talking about. All right? So that kind of brings us up to where we are. And he's going to continue with that theme as we read the rest of the chapter. Um, and what I want to do to begin with, we're going to, um, we're not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to read if you want to look at it your phone or your Bible, you can along with us. But um, I just want to read, and I just want you to listen to it first. So just take it in. Take this passage in first, and then we'll go bit by bit, and we'll take it apart. So take it in first, take it apart second. All right. I'm just going to read straight. We're starting in verse 19. This is James chapter 1, verse 19. So then. 
My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he himself observes, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So that's what we're going to talk through today. Now, understanding, and I think it's very important, when we're reading anything you're reading, you have to understand it's written by a person. He's under the leadership of the Holy Spirit as he writes, but it is James writing, and James has a point he's trying to get across. And I actually don't think that James gets enough credit for the point he's trying to get across, because often when you read commentaries or other theologians talk about the book of James, they often treat it as if it's just like a list of Proverbs, like it's the book of Proverbs, where it's just one idea, and then he's done with this idea, and he's on to another idea, and then he's done with this idea, and then he's done with it. Like, like James is just scattered all over the place. And I don't think that's giving James enough credit. That's not in the intent of what James is doing. James is trying to help them understand how to persevere and try and how to mature and grow in what they're supposed to be doing in the image of Christ. And so all of it fits within that context. And I think that's really important as we read through the verses that we read today because there are a couple that are a bit controversial that there's debate about within Christian circles over what they mean. And I think we need to give James the benefit of the doubt and put this within the context of what he's doing as a whole. And so that's what we're going to do today. All right, the first verse that we read might be very, very familiar to you. Uh, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, most of the time, if you hear this verse taught, you hear this verse taught that we are supposed to do this with other people. And that's because if you treat James like a list of Proverbs and he's, you think that he just finished his other idea and he's going on, he's turning 90 degrees to a totally new idea, you might get that impression that being swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry is about my interaction with you. But when I read this, that doesn't make any sense to me because he hasn't been talking about my relationship with you up until this point. He's been talking about their relationship with God in the trial, going to God for wisdom. And so in this verse, I think what he's talking about is being swift to listen to God and slow to speak to God. 
that my first reaction, and Jeremy mentioned this last week, but my first reaction when the pressure is on and the trial comes needs to be to listen to God, what he wants me to do, what he wants to say to me. I need to be quick to listen to him when naturally my first response is almost always to speak to God, to tell him what I'm thinking, to bring my ideas and my emotions and all of my stuff to him. I, I speak to him before I hear from him. But we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And it might be anger with our situation, or it might be anger with God over our situation. God, how dare you put me in this spot? How could you let this happen to me? Why would you do this to me? The anger, if, if you've ever been in a spot where, where, the, where the, pressure, the pressure was on, you were in a stressful situation, a trial, a temptation, or whatever it is, and your gut reaction was anger. Anybody ever been there? I have. I would say more often than not. More often than not is to get angry with the situation or to get angry with God. And what James is saying is like, no, 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 no. Because if you do that, if that's your first reaction, it's not going to produce the righteousness of God. It's not going to build the endurance and patience that we've been talking about. It's, you're not going to get the wisdom that you need and that you want from God because you opened your mouth before you opened your ears. And so we need to first open our ears to hear from him. That needs to be step one. You know, I can speak for myself, and, 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 and unfortunately, a lot of people around me, too. There's, we, we have a lot of Christians when their gut reaction is, is to just jump into the situation, when they feel like they're being persecuted, and their first reaction is to open our mouth. <laughs> our first reaction is to get angry. We, we've got, I mean, I, you, you, all you got to do is turn on the news. We've got a lot of angry Christians. We've got a lot of angry Christians that feel like they're being persecuted. That's not supposed to be our initial reaction. Our initial reaction is to listen to God. God, what do you want me to think? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? Because that anger that comes out as a gut reaction does not produce the righteousness of God in our life. So be very careful when you see that stuff. We need to listen to him. Now, the Jewish rabbis actually had a saying. I'll give, give them credit on this one. They had, a, they had a, a saying. They used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth. <laughs> and your ears are open. But your mouth has a wall, or your tongue has a wall around it. <laughs> so maybe the best thing we can do when the pressure is on is just to use that wall, leave that wall right where it is, and keep those keep those lips shut, right? And listen first. When we get angry and we're quick to get angry, listen, nothing good ever comes out of that. We don't mature that way. We don't grow that way. We just get more and more frustrated and more and more angry. So be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Listen. Say, God, okay, all right, all right. This thing is happening, whatever this thing is. How do you want me to think about this? How do you want me to think about this? How do you want me to feel about this? How do you want me to speak about this? How do you want me to impact this? God, give me your mind. Give me your heart. Give me your words. Let this be you that comes out of me and not me that comes out of me so that I will respond in a way that will grow me in maturity, that will grow me in the image of Jesus so I'm consistently being conformed into his image. Help me to do that. Listen first. Listen first and speak later. That's what we have to do. And he says, so what you need to do, verse 21, Therefore, 
lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And I love the two th- terms that he chooses here because he's given us a, a clear picture. Filthiness is the dirt that gets on us from the outside. The overflow of wickedness is the dirt that comes from the inside of us out. So lay aside all of the the bad influence, the bad ideas, the bad reactions, the bad counsel that you get from the outside telling you how to react to this. Lay all that aside and lay aside all of the overflow of wickedness, all of that anger and confusion and frustration and malice and all those things that come up from the inside out. Lay all of that aside. And instead, he says, Lay lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is the verse out of all of these that is most highly debated. What does this mean? And frankly, a lot of the uh, commentaries and thoughts on this that I read just felt like people trying to take this verse and peg it into their predetermined theology. They're just trying to use this verse to support something else. But I think what he's saying here is so obvious in the context. If we just come at it like, what is James actually saying? Lay aside all that filthiness that's coming from the inside out or that's coming from the outside in and receive with meekness or humility. Be humble enough to receive the implanted word. What word is he talking about? Well, he uses, when he says the word, word, (laughs) this always gets a little wordy when you're talking about the word word, all right? When he says the word word, he uses the word logos, okay, which is a general word. It means anything that is spoken, and it's used to describe Jesus, and it's used in a lot of places. It's used over 300 times in the New Testament, the word logos. So it's a general word, okay? So he's saying, receive this word. Well, what word is he talking about? I think it's really simple. It's the word we've been asking God for. It's the wisdom we've been asking him for. That's what he said earlier. People try to turn that into something else. Like, no, it's really obvious. We're asking God for wisdom. We're asking him to lead us. We're asking him to guide us. So James is saying, receive it. When he gives it, receive it. Receive that implanted word. When you say, God, tell me how to think, and he tells you how to think, receive it. And then he said, it's able to save your soul. This is tricky for us because we speak in English, and James didn't speak in English. Okay? He wrote this in Greek. All right? We speak in English, and so we hear the word soul, and we think about our eternal spirit, you know, heaven, hell, and all of that. We hear the word save, and we think about, we as Christians, we jump, we hear the word save, we jump right to salvation, right? So he's saying it can save your soul. Also, that wisdom can can save us, you know, send us to heaven or save us from hell. That's not what James is saying. That's not what he's saying. These are, again, two very generic words. The word save, that can mean a lot of things. We use that word a lot of different ways, don't we? I mean, yeah, I mean, you could, we could be saved from hell, but we can also be saved from having to go to the office Christmas party, right? Which is his own kind of hell. You know, that's, that's here, that's here and now. That's here and now, right? We can be saved from the pain and destruction and frustration and all that on earth, and we are also saved. Uh, we are also saved for eternity from hell, right? But that's a different thing. And when he says soul, he uses the word suke. Now, if you were here a few months ago, we talked about this word when we, uh, um, we went through the verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the word there for soul is the word suke. And it doesn't mean your eternal spirit. That's not the word they would have used if that's, what, if that's what James meant. He would have used a different word. The word suke means your, it's like your, the only way, and I had a hard time describing this last time, but it's like your oomph. 
It's, it's the breath in your lungs. It's your being. and It's your essence. It's who you are. It's not your eternal spirit, but it's your soul. Like you might say, hey, that song has soul. It has like something to it, that oomph, you know? And so when he says, when he says that it's able to save your soul, you're not talking about eternal salvation from heaven and hell and all that. He's saying that if you'll receive the implanted word that you've asked for, instead of speaking and giving God your ideas and telling God what you're supposed to do and reacting emotionally and all that, if you'll receive the implanted word, then it's going to save you here and now from all of that pain and struggle and strife and destruction that's going to happen in your life if you allow anger to be the tone of your response. He said it can save you. I mean, some of you may feel like you're in the middle of a struggle or a trial right now, and you've got that anger, you've got that frustration and confusion and disillusionment, and all of that's what's welling up within you. And listen, God wants to save you from that. He wants to free you from that. But it's not going to be by changing your situation. I know that's what we, we think. He wants to change you. He wants to change your response. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your perspective. He wants to give you his wisdom. And so that's what you need to be looking for from him. He is a good father, and he will give that to you, but you've got to look for it. You've got to look for it, and that's what James is saying. You've got to receive that, and he will save you from all that. But it's not enough just to receive it or to even believe it. You have to actually do something with it. You have to put it into practice in order for it to have an effect in your life. Let's keep reading verse 22. He says, but be doers of the word. And the word be there is an interesting one because it means to keep on becoming. So he's saying, keep on becoming doers of that word. That's the word he's talking about. It's the wisdom you receive from God, the direction you receive from God. Be doers. Continue being a doer of the word and not just a hearer deceiving yourself. For if anyone's a hearer of the word, like God says that to you, and not a doer, you don't actually act on it. He's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. This uh, theme that James talks about over and over in his letter is the deceiving yourself, deceiving yourself, being tricked, believing lies instead of believing the truth, all right? And, and, and this situation, you're like, well, who would go look at themselves in a mirror? <laughs> and walk away and forget what they look like. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah, it's supposed to be ridiculous. All right, this is a joke. We, I, know the, I know this is not the kind of humor that we use in our culture. This is the kind of humor they used in their culture. It's hyperbolic. It's, it's intentionally ridiculous. James is saying, come on, guys, really. And, and, and you have to understand, in their culture, looking at yourself in a mirror was not as ubiquitous as it is for us. It's not like, you know, we would go by a mirror 10, 12, 20 times a day. Some of us stare in it for hours. Like, they didn't, us, I said, so they, they, didn't have, they didn't have mirrors like we did. It would be a polished piece of metal or something, and, and you would only be, you know, you'd have to be rich to have a mirror that you were looking at every day. So it was only so, every so often you would get to look. So that was a big deal. They would use it for, you know toiletry issues to make sure they were clean or whatever. But yeah, you would, you would, it would be a special thing, an important thing to look at yourself in a mirror. And so to look at yourself in the mirror, walk away, totally forget. I mean, that's like, that would be like me going into the mirror today and looking at myself and realizing that I'd had a piece of beef jerky stuck in my beard for a week, which is a realistic scenario, by the way. And then just going about my day with the, and not even eating it. 
right? It's ridiculous. Who would do that? Nobody would do that. It's ridiculous. No, he's just trying to say, if you're asking God for wisdom and then God gives it to you, how could you not go and do that? But at the same time, I read that and I think, well, it's a lot easier than you might think, James, (laughs) because I think I do that all the time where I know what I'm supposed to do and then I don't do it. I know how I'm supposed to think about something and then I don't think that way. I know how I'm supposed to react to a situation, and then I don't react that way. So it's a lot more common and a little less ridiculous than maybe we're making it out to be. But if you think about it theoretically, it is ludicrous. It's, it's dumb, okay? But he says, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, This one will be blessed in what he does. If you want peace and you want joy and you want transformation and you want all of that, then you have to look into the perfect law of liberty. And here's what this means. Perfect law of liberty is the fact that God has saved us by his grace and not by our works. So if I put my faith in Jesus Christ, if I believe in him for salvation, he forgives me by his grace. And that's it. And then I can do whatever I want to with the rest of my life. And how faithful I am or unfaithful I am is going to determine how much life I experience here and how much death I experience here. And it's going to to change how much reward I experience in heaven. It's not going to separate me from him, but I can do whatever I want to do. And he says, but if you look into the perfect law of liberty, if you look into the freedom that you have in Christ, and that's the freedom we have, you look at the freedom that we have in Christ, and you continue in it. And you're not just a hearer, which means you're asking for it, but not just a hearer, but also a doer, that's when you experience the blessing. But you can't have the blessing without the doing. You can't have it. And the blessing, again, we need, I always need to be clear about this. The blessing is not a new job. The blessing, is not, the blessing is not a new car. The blessing is not the AirPods, right? The blessing is not winning the game. The blessing is the transformation that God is doing in your life and in your heart. And you will be blessed. You will see that. You will experience it. You will feel it. You'll watch it happening. You'll be amazed by it. But only if you look into the freedom you have, continue in faith, believing, listening to Jesus, listening to God and what he wants you to do, and then putting it into practice. But we shouldn't expect expect a blessing or transformation or those things happening in our life if we're not doing each of those things. Be blessed in what he does. I love, by the way, the word he uses here, I'm nerd out over words, obviously, but the word he uses to look into the perfect law of liberty, different word than he used when he was talking about looking in a mirror. When he said looking in a mirror, that's just the normal look. When he said look into the perfect law of liberty, it literally means, the, the root words of it literally mean to stoop down and stare into, like a, like a kid trying to get a closer look at a bug, Okay to stoop down, that when you look and you understand the freedom that you have in Christ and you say, I'm going to live this, 
I'm going to live in this. I am going to, no matter what comes my way, no matter what trial, no matter what difficulty, I am in this thing, and I'm listening to God, and, I'm, and I want to hear from him. And so I'm going to hear from him. I'm going to hear through the Spirit. I'm going to hear through the Word, through the, through the, the Bible. I'm going to hear through uh, what God wants to say to me through other believers that I trust, and I'm going to listen to that. And when God gives me that wisdom and he gives me that direction, and I know it's consistent with him, I'm going to do it. person who stoops down and looks into that intently, committed, That's what it takes to get through this stuff. That's what it takes to get out the other side of this stuff and not be totally broken and destroyed. This kind of confidence, this kind of resolve. When Jesus was finishing what is arguably the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, he said this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And he said, you got to listen, and you got to do. And it didn't stop, by the way, didn't stop the rain from coming. Didn't stop. Didn't stop the floods from coming. Didn't stop the wind from blowing and beating on the house. But the house was still standing when it was all said and done, because it was founded in the right place. This is what we have to do. And then he goes on, verse 26. He says, if any, anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, again, we talk about the, the tongue, and James is going to talk about the tongue and it being a fire and all this kind of stuff later in the, in the letter. But here I think he's still talking about what we're saying to God, okay? And a bridle is not a muzzle. A bridle is what you use to lead an animal. Saying if your tongue, if your words are not being led by God, and you say you're doing all of this stuff, maybe you've got a lot of good works and things going on in your life, but if you have good things going on, you're doing stuff, but you're not being led by the wisdom of God, then it's useless. It's empty. It's hollow. It's, uh, it's unproductive. And so he's already said, you know, with his... his Kind of the, the, what he laid out earlier, that wisdom without action is ridiculous. That's the guy with his face in the mirror. Wisdom without action is ridiculous, but action without wisdom is useless. And that's what he's saying here. Action without wisdom is useless. And then he finishes this section by saying, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, he's not saying those are the only things that you have to do. He's using them as examples. And I think it's, he's drawing back to what he said earlier. He said you have to put off filthiness, and you have to put off the overflow of wickedness, what comes from the outside in and what comes from the inside out. And these are indicators. These two things are indicators that that is happening in your life. Because if you are uh, if you're keeping yourself unspotted from the world, you're not allowing yourself to be you know, uh, contaminated by the culture and the world around you, then that is putting off all filthiness. And if you're helping orphans and widows, and it really is, it says visit, but it means to care for, which would lead to visiting and all of that, which is to care for them, then that's an indication because in their culture, widows and orphans had nothing to offer in return. So to, to, to love, to visit, to serve, to care about an orphan or a widow was a purely selfless act. And so that would prove, that would be an action that would demonstrate that you are, you are uh, putting away from yourself uh, the overflow of wickedness. 
in your life. And so these are indicators that we're on the right track, that we're listening to God and the right things being produced in our life. And this week in our groups, we're going to talk more about each one of these ideas and how we actually practice them and how we do them and what kinds of things we can do. We're going to analyze our own lives and say, do I have fruit like this happening where it's obvious that God is doing this transformation in me? Or, or what do I need to do? Or how do I need to change? Or what do I need to change about how I think or live or whatever it is? So this week in group, we're going to take all of that and we're going to figure out how to put that into practice and dive into it more. But if we want to be mature in Christ, this is what we have to choose. To ask God for wisdom, and when he gives it to us, receive it. And when we receive it, to act on it and to live it out. And I just want you to, for a second, to imagine. Imagine how different things would be for you if this is your mentality in the situation you're in. Or maybe look back to situations you've been through and say, if this was my mentality then, how would it have been different? Because I want you to be able to see, and I think James wants us to be able to see, the contrast between those two reactions. And to know that what he's presenting here is better. It's better. And it may or may not change the outcome of things, but it will change what happens in you through it. And so maybe today, maybe a commitment that you need to make is you need to make a commitment to be led by God today because you haven't been doing that. You've been trying to lead him, and it hasn't worked out. Spoiler, it doesn't work out, okay? You've been trying to lead him, and today you say, no, God, I need you to lead me. I need you to lead me. I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to give me discernment. I need, to show, I need you to show me how to react and what to do in this situation. And I am committing that if you show me what to do, I will do it. Maybe that's a commitment that you need to make today. Maybe some of you today, have, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ in the first place, and that's the next step for you, is to say, Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross. I see the way my life is going. I see how sinful I am. I see the wake of destruction around me, and I know that I need a Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin. And he rose again on the third day. And in order to become a child of God and have access to this wisdom and this leadership and guidance that God wants to give to you, that he created you for, in order to, to tap into that, you first have to put your trust in Jesus for salvation. You have to believe that he died for you on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you put your faith in him, by God's grace, you will be saved today, now, instantly. And then God wants to do a transformative work in your life from this point forward. He wants to change you. He wants to take what you, like clay, he wants to take you and he wants to mold you into the shape and the image that he created you for. He wants to draw you into the relationship with him that he created you for. He wants to draw you into relationships with other people that he created you for. But it begins with putting your faith in him for salvation and trusting in him for salvation. And so maybe today is the day for you to do that. I want to take a moment. We are going to sing one more song today. We're going to sing about being the sons and daughters of God, and that no matter where we are, he is with us. We're going to sing in that song about the, uh, uh, when the lies speak louder than the truth, remind me I belong to you. When that filthiness comes from the outside or the wickedness comes from the inside and tries to, to throw everything off in the situation, we're going to reject that and remind ourselves that we belong to God and that God has good things for us. 
wants to transform us. All right, so let's take a moment. Let's pray. We're going to commit what we've learned and heard to him today and prepare to sing and worship. Let's pray. Father, we want you to know how much we love you, how good you are. When this world isn't good, you still are. When life is difficult, when it's tough, when we feel persecuted or we, we feel uh, confused, we know that you are not. We know that you love us. We know that you've prepared us and are preparing us for everything coming our way. And so right now, we want you to know, first and foremost, God, regardless of anything that happens in our life, we are thankful that you are our Father. For anybody who's never put their faith in you and wants to become your child right now, God, I pray that you move in their heart to make that decision right now. To accept forgiveness, to accept salvation, to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so, God, right now, I ask that you move in them to make that decision right now. And that for all of us, whether that decision is being made today or whether we made it years ago, we are in the process of being transformed, being renewed. We're in the process of being drawn into fellowship with each other, fellowship with you. And I pray, God, that you would do that even through the difficulty, even through the hard times, for people in our church that are going through what might be the hardest moment in their life right now. You want to use this. You want to change them through it. You want to prepare them through it. Help them to lean in right now to your wisdom, to your guidance. That, God, we would put on your mind. We, we would listen with your ears. We would speak with your words. That you would transform us into the image of Jesus so we are reflecting him. Instead of reflecting our wicked hearts or instead of reflecting a culture that doesn't agree with you. You would be what comes out of us pray that you would encourage us in these times. Give us strength in these times. We ask specifically right now, God, for wisdom, perspective, so that our mind and heart are with you instead of here. That our hope is with you instead of here. That our trust is with you instead of here. And as we walk through all of this stuff, as we face our own trials, God, we are asking that you will grow us. We know that you will, and so, God, we look for it today. Remind us of what is true and what is good. We want you to know, God, today that we trust you. And so as we prepare to sing, God, I pray that you would hear truth from our hearts, authenticity from our life. As we not only hear from you, but then we put it into practice. It's in your name we pray. Amen.